Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Thursday, January 19th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we are digging into a few recent news and notes. Not a ton happening this week, but a few important items to pass along before we dive into draft strategy. Flowcharts, decision trees, working backwards to solve the problem. Lots of ways to describe it. Uh, we're going to dig into some of how we go through building teams and what we think about this time of year from a broader perspective. Uh, especially because we're doing a couple of draft and hold leagues right now and testing a few things out and probably learning a few things along the way. I had a hypothetical I threw out there on Twitter earlier this week that I'm going to turn into a podcast segment so we can uh, get excited about that. And we got a couple of mailbag questions that we'll probably squeeze in at the end. Was that the, the one about podcasts about podcasts? <laughs> the vending machine full of vending machines? <laughs> Can you imagine if that thing got jammed? Oh, watch your hands, buddy. <laughs> don't tip that one on top of yourself <laughs> yes we we uh in 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 high school and at boarding school we we tipped the vending machine and it landed on our friend <laughs> sorry jason <laughs> sorry jason Chan. is he alive did he, did he make it <laughs> yeah he's okay he had a pretty bruised thigh <laughs> we had to and then we had to like go we like weren't strong enough to get it off of him so we had to actually go get a teacher just to have enough power to get it off yeah, vending machines, especially of 25 years ago, those were heavy, heavy duty. So I'm glad your your friend made it through with mostly just a bruise. And surprisingly, we didn't get in trouble on <laughs> the number of things. Pick the right guy to go get. <laughs> I can't even imagine. You could probably fill a book with the uh, stories of your time at boarding school, but we'll save that for uh, another episode. News and notes for today. Let's start with the Brewers. Come on, how can we not start with the Brewers when Jesse Winker? will begin spring training with no restrictions. In fact, a team official told one of the Brewers scribes that Winker is, quote, doing awesome right now at the team's facility in Arizona, <laughs> yeah. to which I replied with a, a gif of the dude hitting the ceiling of his car because Jesse Winker could be really good in Milwaukee. He was hurt last year. We talked about that. I think on our outfield preview, which hasn't come out yet, more on that in just a few minutes. And... He's an important run producer that could be right in the heart of this Milwaukee lineup. And I think pre-trade to Seattle last year, I saw Winker as a guy, if he stayed in Cincinnati, who actually had a shot at getting some MVP votes. I swear that that was the ceiling that he was starting to show with the hit tool being really good and the power getting to a more sustainable level where he might have been able, especially in Cincinnati, might have been able to pop 30 home runs in a full season there. I don't know if that's actually his true ceiling at this point. Maybe I overestimated it slightly, but the bounce back potential is very real and getting good health reports ahead of spring training make me even more excited about Winker as a good last year's disappointment guy that I want to have on my teams. 
Yeah, and you know the the good news is I think there was some consideration for a second surgery. Um, you know, he had the neck surgery, and then uh, he's had some back issues, I guess. Um, and I think that there was, uh, you know, some thought like we'll see what happens, and so we've seen what's happened, and you know, we got the good outcome. So love that. Um, you know, it also uh, in a best case type scenario. Uh, Winker can get out of that DH uh, spot that he's kind of sitting on and the Fangraphs uh, depth charts and uh, become a player in that outfield. And if he can play in the outfield, I think that's would be huge for the Brewers because it would allow them to maybe platoon Keston Hira at DH. Um, it would take some pressure off of uh, Garrett Mitchell and Tyron Taylor. Tyrod? Tyrone. Tyrone, sorry. Tyrod plays on Sundays. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I got the wrong one. Um, uh, and uh, and I think that would take some pressure off the two youngest guys in the outfield. And it's I don't think it's that crazy to think that Winker could play in the outfield. Uh, 17, 18, and 19. Um, you know, uh, you know, in 17, uh, he was like a minus one oh, outs above average. Uh, in 18, it was minus five. 19, minus eight. 2021 minus 7, 2022 minus 10. So he, he has been going down, but if he can get even back to the minus 7, minus 8 range, um, you know, we're talking about uh, Seth Brown, Hunter Dozier, um, Brian Reynolds was a minus 7 last year, uh, uh, Chad Pinder was a minus 8. Uh, so there are some players that uh, that still play in the field that are in this in this in this group. Rymel Tapia was a minus five. So, you know, if he can get back to minus seven, minus five to minus seven uh, in the outfield, then uh, and for dynasty leaguers, you're not even just talking about can he will he play there all year? Can he play there ten or twenty times this year? And if he is really feeling good, I think the answer is yes. So. Now you're talking about retaining that outfield eligibility. Uh, you're talking about more playing time, not being uh, sort of stuck in uh, the uh, stuck in the DH uh, situation. So uh, the projections now uh, could be light on playing time because they all have around 500 plate appearances. If he is a guy who plays the outfield and plays DH um, and is healthy enough to be in there every day. Uh, you could uh, get him back up to 550 like last year or even uh, 600, although it's kind of amazing he's never done 600. Yeah, wrist injuries, a couple other things have slowed him down over the course of his career. So I, I think the 5, 550 range is where I'm, I'm comfortable projecting him, but he's still outside the top 200 in January ADP. I think that's a pretty good value so long as he stays in that range. If he kind of cracks the... 175 to 200 range that's probably more of like a, a break even sort of spot for him but i do like winker yeah because i'm right now at uh 195 in an nfbc uh, draft and uh the best outfielders in the queue are alex verdugo joey manessa seth brown ramon loriano andrew benintendi i still take those guys above winker i think I think a lot of it depends on if you have enough speed at the point when Winker goes too. If you still need some speed, he's in that group of outfielders that really offers you nothing in that stolen base category. And he could get back to a good batting average uh, now that he's out of Seattle. That's a really tough place for batting average. So if he gets up to a 260, 275, he's an asset in batting average and uh, home runs. 
um, as opposed to just kind of a home run guy, which which won't give you like 30 home runs. So he is kind of a weird uh, player that is more kind of depth, oatmeal-y, late, late player. But I think he's a little undervalued. Brewers also added Brian Anderson. They have a play-by-play announcer named Brian Anderson. They've had him for 15 oh. years. But Brian Anderson... Spider-Man meme. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Anderson, the former Miami Marlin, is now a member of the Brewers. And I think the... The initial takeaway, the most likely formation of the lineup is going to include Anderson playing third, Luis Urias playing second. It is probably Winker as the DH most days, even if he does play the outfield, like you said. And then you've got this kind of unknown, maybe in right field, where for now it's Tyrone Taylor. Perhaps at some point Sal Freelick gets a chance to debut and play that spot. All this is to say... The Brewers are getting closer to having a more balanced lineup, right? They've got a little more depth now with this move. Um, I think the the Winker trade had been previously overlooked. I mean, they made the big William Contreras trade. It's been a quiet year in free agency for them, but they've been active enough to make this this team actively better. Like they really are a better group. Anderson, though, projections are kind of divided on him. So He's versatile. He could play a little bit in the outfield if needed. Big enough arm to play right. So maybe they will also play Anderson some in right and then move Arias back over to third and play Bryce Terang at second. There's a lot of moving parts in, in terms of how this could actually play out. But for now, I'm giving him most of his playing time at third base, at least to begin the year. Yeah, I, I think that's there's a real opportunity there. You can bump Luis Urias to second and you don't have to depend on Bryce Terang. And so... I think that's what they're doing. It's a little bit um, like the Hosmer and Mancini situation in, in Chicago, where you still like, maybe you still like Bryce Turing, uh, maybe you still like Matt Mervis, but you are going to put some representative uh, veterans in front of him uh, just to be uh, just to be sure, more sure of things. Um, you know, obviously the young guy can come and push this guy out of the way if he wants to. There's nothing about the deal that says that he can't uh, one year and three and a half million dollars. So, you know, it's, uh, it could just be depth or it could be your starter all year. And I like it because Brian Anderson is one of these guys, uh, you know, he's just decent at everything. Like, really, he's just decent at everything. He's a 53rd percentile runner. He's just a little bit worse than average at making contact he's just a little better than average at, at taking walks he's just around average at chase rate his uh his barrel rate is actually his barrel rate and max ev are good but his power results were bad so i think in this case they're looking at that and they're saying hey if we can get him to pull the ball like he did in 2020 when he made the most use of his of the same barrel rate that he had last year uh, and had almost twice as much the power, uh, then then we'll do that. We'll try to get him to pull the ball in the air. He's going to come here and say, I'm in Milwaukee, not, not, not Miami. I'm not trying to spray the ball around anymore. I'm trying to get it over the fence. And um, I think that we could see even beyond the bat, who's a little bit more uh, upbeat about Brian Anderson, I would say that we could see even a little bit beyond the bat. The bat has 240 and 15 homers and 490 plate appearances. Honestly, if he does that and he's 10% bed in league average and he's the third baseman, I think Milwaukee might just play him. And then you're talking about back up to, you know, 550, 600 plate appearances um, and, uh, you know, 240 and 17, 18 homers. I think he's a great draft and hold 
uh, third, third baseman. Um, I think he's a pretty good NL only uh, investment. Um, I think deep dynasties, uh, this is the type of player who will be in your restocking draft that won't cost you anything and might end up playing for you. Yeah, you mentioned this, the you know, hitting in Miami, it's of course very difficult. The difference for a right-handed hitter making the move out of Lone Depot Park into American Family Field still feels weird to Just say that. Just rolls off the tongue, man. Just rolls off Ugh, the tongue. Both both park names, atrocious. <laughs> yeah. It's a 26-point uh, difference in park factor, right? So for a righty, Lone Depot plays in, in Miami, plays as an 86. So well below average for right-handed power. Milwaukee, American Family Field, plays at a 112. So that alone changes a lot about Anderson's output. And some of it might just be, uh, you know, sort of in his head. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, 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 you, we've talked on this podcast about how Andrew Panettone said, oh, you know, I was in Kansas City, but now I'm going to be in Chicago uh, in the cell. You know, I'm going to try and hit for power again. You know, um, I think that a lot of times people see certain outcomes um, and uh, adjust their strategy to, to fit it. So, uh, you know, he's played in Milwaukee before, and I don't, I don't even know what his... <laughs> stats are in milwaukee but uh it almost doesn't matter because he's not going to change his uh, general approach to fit the place he's in once a year (laughs) but when he moves there he can be like well i've always liked hitting here you know and i do have power so let me let me try to unlock that yeah i think there's a few ways this could actually go right if he moves up and probably becomes a guy that goes a 15 team mixed league draft where you actually have moves I think he's probably going somewhere in the round 25 to 30 range. I think he's going to be very draftable in those formats because we've seen it before. He can be a good accumulator, and I think he does make this lineup a bit better. Could be an interesting uh, bench piece uh, in sort of your 15-team NFBC type leagues because he would be your backup CI, third base, and outfielder. So it's three positions he's backing up. And uh, if you went heavy on steals and you were like, you know, I'd like to have a guy who can maybe hit some some might hit some dingers, and then you'll also like I like like to say on here you also get decision point pretty early on him. You'll get to see are they playing him every day or is he? I mean he's a right hander, right? Mm-hmm. So you know if they if he's in the short side platoon, then you'll be dropping him pretty quick. Right. If Terang has a fantastic spring and they decide they want to play Terang against righties at second base and Rios is projected better than Anderson, then. Anderson's playing time might dip if he doesn't take over the corner outfield spot. But because there's so many spots where he can collect a lot of playing time, I think it's a risk worth taking. I like being able to make that quick early season decision, though, if the playing time isn't right. I think cost-wise, that's exactly where Anderson is going to go. Some news to pass along, personal news to pass along, because we've started recording our draft kit episodes and... Some of the things we've said in those episodes will probably make no sense at all if I don't tell people what's going on. Uh, my wife and I are expecting a baby in late February this year, right in the the middle part of fantasy baseball draft season. Thank you. So we're very excited. New Brewers fan coming in late February. <laughs> he gets to choose. New Brewers fan just about to drop. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great way to put it. No, he gets to choose. Uh, anything but Cardinals or Cubs will be accepted. Oh, you should do... You should do that like choosing ceremony they do uh, in in some cultures where you put out different hats. It's just a choosing of, of which fandom he's going to be. <laughs> I will accept submissions from anyone who wants to send new hats. I will, I will let them choose. I will burn any and all Cardinals and Cubs hats that are sent to me, though. Oh, <laughs> that's just not going to happen. We can't well, let that happen. I've. 
I'm super happy uh, for you, and I can't wait to to meet him. And um, and also welcome to the uh, the crew of No Sleep. Last night, uh, I was woken five times by my various animals and children, um, and so uh, that is actually uh, the new reality for you. Ten years from now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a long-term commitment. It's a Dynasty League situation. That's <laughs> yeah. what it is. Yeah, for a while I did have uh, one of my children. We have, uh, you could own anybody, and I, I owned one of my children as a prospect, but uh, eventually I needed to, to fill that space with a more legitimate prospect. <laughs> you worked on it for a couple of summers, and you're like, oh, fuck. This is not going to take a good, good, not a good use of roster space right now. Yeah. Let's see if a few camps can can turn things around. <laughs> so yeah, for the pod, uh, we've got the the usual volume of shows coming. We're going to scale up to four a week really soon. We still have all the position previews going. Well, that's you're bearing some, bearing a little bit of a lead there too. Yeah, we got a, a lot of uh, a lot of changes with the show that are happening this year. Um, so the athletic fantasy baseball podcast is unfortunately no more but we're taking a few episodes from that feed and bring them over so we're going to have a prospect keeper dynasty league centric show we're going to have our buddy chris welsh working with us on that so that's really exciting chris is going to fill in on another day while i'm out for the duration of my leave whenever that actually begins late february of course written in pencil Um, so i'll be gone probably for about four weeks when the baby comes and i'll take some time off again at some point, either later on this season or in the off season, I know so little about being a parent. I honestly can't tell you when I'm taking that second stretch of leave. <laughs> I wish I could. Wish I could say it with some kind of certainty. Uh, we're also going to have our friend Al Melkier helping us out on extra episodes and the waiver show that we did on the other feed throughout the year on Fridays. We're going to bring that over to rates and barrels as well. So a lot of great content joining the feed. Nice to have some familiar voices uh, joining us on the show on a regular basis. Probably going to do more with guests from time to time too, since we're expanding the show to four days throughout the year, we'll have a lot of opportunities to catch up with some friends, people that write for the athletic people that don't people we've never met before, right? Like all sorts of of new people and voices coming along on rates and barrels this year. So it's great. It's a great year of of expansion, not only in my family, but also in this podcast feed. Yes. And the rates and barrels family. And, you know, I'll be I'll be there, and you'll you'll be there when you're when you're back. Uh, so it'll it'll be there'll be a continuity. It'll still be rates and barrels. It'll still be uh, and nerdy as <laughs> as we want to be. Um, but I think this is this is like honestly, we've tried to have our prospects of the week, and you know, we do our stat scouting. But it's a it's better to, to you know to bring someone in. I think uh, to to help us uh, on the you know live looks aspect of uh, prospects. Uh, you know, Welsh is in Arizona and uh, and sees these guys, and and you know his prospect pod is is something we followed along through the years. So that's going to shore us up there. Um, and then Al is just uh, the consummate professional and just a a, a great uh, asset for us in terms of some of the nuts and bolts. Mm-hmm. And I think the the Friday show will be often be about uh kind of a waivers thing you know you know as people approach waiver deadlines on fridays and sundays and whatever it is um we'll we'll be talking about pickups and 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 drops and things like that from a very sort of um focused uh, i think sort of focused fantasy perspective and that will allow us sometimes to uh, talk about whatever study we've just read or whatever uh you know nerdity we want to go into so (laughs) in in effect it might allow us to 
to to untether and go into the stratosphere sometimes because uh because we will always be tethered by these you know the different things that we we're going to do with the four shows you know so we can get weird sometimes so i, I really like it i think that uh, overall it's uh, it's going to be a, a great year for rates and barrels nerd score rising on the podcast very quickly with the uh, latest additions but uh yeah i'm already I'm already wondering what am I going to sound like with less sleep? How am I going to feel with less sleep? But I'll get to experience that really soon. I'm sure I'll pass I, I along stories. I bet you will have the ass much more. <laughs> we'll get a, good for a me. slightly grumpier Derek Van Riper. <laughs> Somebody told me, I, I'm a coffee guy, so I, I, for a long time, have been just French pressing coffee, and uh, we're very lucky. My mother-in-law is here for when the baby arrives to just help with meals, all the stuff that we will be exhausted and not want to do and obviously she'll get to spend time with the little guy right when he arrives too which is great and uh, i got a coffee machine again in california i didn't have one here until recently and someone said you don't have time to make french presses anymore I'm like is it really is it that intense my schedule gonna be is every free minute gonna be just completely gone and i think it's gonna be different phases right babies sleep a lot at first then they start becoming a lot more active so i will keep my parenthood observations to a reasonable level both on the podcast and on twitter but i will likely share some of my experiences along the way because they will likely be funny as my kid owns me and changes my life in unimaginable and amazing ways well i think one of the things that's good is that um the times that are the toughest um often come with uh great leaps and bounds in their development so at the very beginning, it's tough because you're not sleeping through the night, but your life for the first month or so is just sleeping and eating. I mean, it, it, there's not much time for much else because you're so tired from waking up so many times at night that and the baby is just like up, you know, up for a little bit and then you go back to sleep for two hours or whatever. So it's a very much like you're half awake watching Law and Order. That's what we did. We watched all the Law and Order. You're half awake watching Law and Order with a baby asleep on your chest. That's that's what I, that's my iconic remembrance of the first few weeks. The time that it gets the toughest is when they become mobile <laughs> and especially when they're like early walking and talking because they want to engage with you all the time. And they want to move around and they become much more dangerous, you know, in terms of like what they can get into and what they can break and what they can hurt themselves with. And so you actually have to be have eyes on them and be kind of standing up and like, ready. nope, nope, no, oh, oh, no, 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 ah, oh, ah, yes, yes, that's great. No, 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 don't do that. <laughs> and they're and they're almost not even that into tablets and screens yet. So you can't even be like, oh, just give daddy a break here. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes like Coco Melon or whatever, like there's there are things you can play them. But um, that's the that's the toughest time. But at least hopefully by then you're sleeping through the night and you got a, a schedule going. So there's there's different there's different ups and downs for each of them but uh yeah that's that's how i that's how i sort of remember the first couple of years a ton for me to learn to be sure <laughs> oh and everyone just like me just now is going to tell you about their experience and what you should need to do <laughs> send hats send tips send coffee uh, I, I got the machine now so it doesn't have to be fancy coffee it's just got to be Decent. Is it the kind of machine that you can schedule for the morning? Yeah. So when I'm actually Good. awake enough to make it correctly, then I will pre-make it at the button. <laughs> or it's just waiting for you in here. Yep. Constant <laughs> coffee in the Van Riper household uh, coming very soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Rapid-fire news items, Al Kirilov, healthy, taking full swings in off-season workouts. Uh, I really like him as another bounce-back candidate from a health perspective. Could make the, the Twins lineup even more dangerous in 2023 if he is, in fact, finally healthy. So just some good news for him. How does he not play? I am struggling to come up with a path. Arias plays first. Gallo, Buxton, Kepler in the outfield. Larnak at DH. Mm. You're going to, I mean... That's underpowered at first base. Larnak is, uh, I think, a bigger long shot to be a good hitter than Kirilov, right? Yeah, I think Larnak at this stage of his career, man, I don't. Is Larnak a better dart than Gallo, or do you think you'd throw a late dart on Gallo if you were just looking for some cheap playing time in a really deep league? They're kind of similar. Very high strikeout, low batting average. I think Gallo's a better athlete, so I think Gallo will play over Larnak in terms of you know playing in the outfield. And if you want to try and keep Kirloff healthy and Buxton, you know, sometimes too, I think the, you know, DH is going to be largely guys you're trying to keep healthy. So Correa, Kirloff, and Buxton seem like my uh, ideal DH solution. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so if that's the case, then I don't think Larn, I think Larnock's in the minor leagues. Nick Gordon and Kyle Farmer are the, uh, and Gallup and Celestino are the backups. Um, and then Kirilov and Arias uh, share first. Or share? I think Kirilov is the first baseman. I think he's the first baseman. I think Arias moves around a lot. That helps. I mean, this team is so much better with Carlos Correa back in the fold. Remember we used to do this, build a bench? Yeah. What's what's building a bench? You got, uh, how many do you bench? Do you have four spots on the bench? Yeah, I think four. 13 batters, and you got to have nine starters. You have to have a backup catcher. Oh, so is it 13 batters and 13 pitchers? 13 and 13 is what a lot of teams are doing, yeah. Oh, but nine includes the pitchers. That doesn't make sense. So it's eight. No, nine. You're talking you about DH. because the DH. So nine. So you have nine. Four and one of them's a backup catcher. So Ryan One's Jeffers gets one. Okay, so then you have three more. Caleb Celestino, unless you have, you think Nick Gordon can play center? Probably have Celestino on the roster. So that's two. I think he's probably have Celestino. And you have to have a backup shortstop. So that's Farmer. Farmer. That's three. So then it's a question of Gordon or Arise. And no way Larnock makes this roster. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because Kepler, yeah, you've got Kepler. Kepler's going to get traded, isn't he? Okay. If, if Kepler gets traded, then Kirilov plays the outfield and Arise plays first. Yeah. Because as it's built right now, one of Kepler. Gallo or Gordon is a backup. 
Like they can't all three be in the lineup if you have Buxton in a spot. So like that's one. That's bench why spot. I'm thinking it's it's like Gordon or Celestino almost. Because mm. you have to have a backup set catcher, so that's one. You have to have backup shortstop, that's Farmer, that's two. And you have to have right now you have to have Arise and Kirilov, so that's one of those guys is three. So you only have one more bench spot for Celestino or Gordon. You know they didn't. I don't think they expected to get Carlos Correa back when they ended up adding Kyle Farmer for shortstop depth. But now you don't necessarily need Farmer if you believe Polanco could move over and play shortstop because the other guys you have on the Ooh, bench like Arise and Gordon can play second. That seems like it's been that's out. That's kind of where I'm at. But I. All of this is to say, even with that shuffling, I think Alex Kirilov has a clear path to a large side platoon role. I think that's well within range for him, and I think he can do some pretty good things with that opportunity. I think if they break camp the way it is, does Celestino have options? Because Nick Gordon does not have options. Celestino has an option. Gordon's on the roster for sure. There's like so there's then I think no way try he's and, short. Try and fake it without uh, Celestino. Let me see here. Gordon paid 244 innings in center field last year. It was the second most he played in any position. Yeah, so they probably trust him enough to go ahead and do that. Actually, here's the thing about Kyle Farber that I didn't realize. He's got options left. Really? Yeah. Yeah, but I think that's only important once Royce Lewis is healthy. Man, Kyle Farmer's 32? Is that right? Yeah. Do you know he led the Reds in like homers, RBI, uh, uh, not war. That would be bad. He led the he led the Reds in like three categories last year. Feel bad for our buddy Clay Link. He deserves better. Reds fans deserve better. Well, uh, you know, we did the 80th percentile projections, and they uh, could win 85 games <laughs> in the 80th percentile. <laughs> I'm sorry, 85 yes. games. Yes. Wow. Uh, okay. But they're going, they're building towards something. They got a lot of high variance prospects in the minors that could go either way. True. Yeah, the long term direction is fine. It's the short term disaster that is <laughs> one you want to avert your eyes from. Tommy Pham joins the Mets. What does that mean for the depth chart in New York? It's hard to tell, like how often he plays. I like him, um, and I think he's got a great eye, and he and he reminds me almost of like a Mark Cano, where it's like. A great eye, can hit the ball with power. He goes the opposite way a little bit too much. And I think, you know, he's told me that he's thinking about really working on uh, pulling the ball, uh, pulling the ball for barrels this year uh, to kind of tap back into his power because he says this ball doesn't allow him to, to go the other way the same way that he used to. So there's some risk there, but there's also some upside that he does tap into more power. Um, for a team like the Mets, it makes sense just to get as much talent as you can on the roster in every position. For us on the outside, I think it's a little tough. Nimmo is the center fielder. I don't. I think Canha. Who would you rather have the, as the backup center fielder, Canha or Marte? Probably Marte. So then you have Marte as the backup uh, center fielder. In right field, you got Marte with you know the backup is. Canha or Fam, and then in left you've got Canha and Fam, and then the DH you've got Vogelbach and Fam. So I think Fam is the right-handed DH. It's, it's an unnatural platoon with Canha because he's also uh, a right-hander. Yeah, someone's getting pushed off this roster. There, there's a veteran player that's not going to fit on this opening day roster if they're healthy. Yeah, you think so? I think so. 
well, build a bench, you know. Okay, so they have to have Nito uh, as the backup uh, center, is that backup catcher. Their backup shortstop is Luis Guillorme. Right. So that's uh, that's two backups right there. Nito Guillorme, fam, technically counts as a backup, even if he's going to play. Because if right, you so, look across, he's not a top depth chart in any spot. So that's that's three. So there's one more spot left. One for Ruff or like a Mark Vientos or Francisco Alvarez. Ruff is the one uh, that's on the outs. So if Brett Beatty makes this roster, if Brett Beatty has a great spring and they decide they really want him, Ruff is the guy that drops out because Pham is a right-handed DH type that can play the outfield. And then if Beatty makes his team, Eduardo Escobar becomes part of the DH situation, backup second baseman. It's going to be pretty rough. I, you know, for in terms of wanting to get maximum playing time out of each of the players on these Mets, I, I think the, I don't think there's almost anyone you can do that with. I'd say Lindor and Alonso. Right. are the only two players that, that could get 650 plate appearances a year. Who's a better late dart right now, Tommy Pham or Brian Anderson, who we talked about earlier? Well, what did we just say for Brian Anderson, 550 plate appearances? Uh, that was with Winker. Anderson uh, should be close to that, but probably a little under 550. I think that the playing time outlooks are comparable. Pham plays. This would be the first time he's come into a depth chart this crowded. It's funny, uh, Steamer and the depth charts have him at 350 plate appearances. The bad X is 539. I think he's going to be more at the higher end of that range. Because of all the injuries. I mean, Marte is coming off core muscle repair surgery. He's in his mid-30s now. Nimmo's had trouble staying healthy. Somebody could not even make opening day. Yeah. I just think that the Brian Anderson upside, not necessarily the playing time upside is is there is more there for me okay a little younger you know that's a factor too if they if if i knew that they were both gonna get 600 plate appearances i'd take them all right some other uh minor moves adam duvall joins the red Sox and is apparently gonna play center field it, it's it's worked before though as far as cheap power goes going to adam duvall when no one seems to be interested can it work one and he had a five outs above average last year there were center fielders victor robles had a six there's a center fielder behind him. Leo Tavares had a plus four. Uh, but like I said, center fielders get more chances at tough to get to balls. And they get they are judged by their tough to get to balls in outs above average. And so therefore you can believe a center fielder's outs above average more than you can believe a corner outfielder's outs above average. Uh, and so therefore uh, he does have a center fielder is out to above average, but I don't know if you can believe that he is a center fielder. Therefore, you know what I mean? Um, I think he's uh, miscast there, but they need a shortstop. And so I think it's going to be Enrique Hernandez at short, Christian Arroyo at second and Adam Uval in center. Sweet team. Do we have to build a bench here? Oh, do we? I mean, because it's important. So, you know, uh, Alfaro, maybe over Wong. Yep. Um, who's the backup? Backup shortstop could be Arroyo, but then you need a backup second baseman. I mean, Valdez. Who's the backup? Who is that? Who is E Valdez? Emmanuel Valdez. Emmanuel Valdez. Not sure can if he's Duvall, even... Can Duval play second? <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> no, he can't. 
<laughs> that he's even is played center a... field has been a surprise to me. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm just kidding. That's, that's what going is... better than I expected. <laughs> What's, um, let's see here. What are the free agents at second? Emmanuel Valdez has played 17 innings in his entire minor league career at shortstop. He's definitely not a shortstop. Josh Harrison, Cesar Hernandez. Also Bruce not Neto shortstops. Dorr. Still not a shortstop. No, but I'm 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 not giving them shortstop. I'm giving them second because our backup our backup shortstop is our second baseman. So they could sign someone. I think they really kind of have a need for a backup middle infielder. So people were talking about Elvis Andrews. Yeah, it could be an Elvis Andrews or it could be a Cesar Hernandez type deal. Um, so one of those guys. I think no matter who it is, there is a spot that needs to be filled. So you're going to take Jorge Alfaro. You're going to take a backup middle infielder who we don't know what his name is yet, right? Ref Snyder, maybe, and then Dahlback? Is that your is that your combo that you're going with? They just brought in Rymel Tapia, too. No, no, you need a backup center fielder. That's why Tapia's in town. Tapia's there. Yep, that's the other guy. So Tapia is the backup center fielder, or Duran beats him out in spring. So yep. if there's opportunity in this depth chart, it is Jaron? Jaron Duran. Jaron Duran or Christian Arroyo. And Christian Arroyo's upside is poor uh tristan cassis okay so tristan cassis and jaron duran those are still it we're just re-racking last year same guys that have the upside cassis has way more uh lane for playing time though do you think build a bench is is uh is like just like uh do you think this is like a much ballyhooed segment uh looked forward to should we have like a a, a musical drop for build a bench Sounds like a Twitter poll. I think you should throw that Twitter poll out there after we're done today and see how how it's received. This is uh, this is uh, this is winning production. Look, I think the vending machine full of vending machines is the best <laughs> idea I've ever had, and Twitter doesn't seem to agree. So we'll we'll see if that gets a little agree more helium over the course of the day. Yeah, agree, agree to disagree with my brilliance. Uh, last transactional thing: Julian Merriweather claimed by the Cubs. That's actually a path for the Jorge Lopez of 2022 to be in the range of outcomes. Maybe it's an 80th percentile outcome. Maybe it's just highly unlikely. But this Cubs bullpen, I don't think it's proven by any stretch of the imagination. But the more I started digging into this group, the more I actually kind of like what they're doing so far. It's not overpowering. It's not elite. But it might be better than people realize. And I think that closer role is pretty much up for grabs. Let's uh, run through the candidates. Brandon Hughes, 100.5 stuff plus. Boxberger, who has refined his breaking ball, 84 stuff plus. Could be a, a little low because he's kind of got a great changeup. Changeups are not stuff plus best foot forward. However, he had 1,000 pitches in the system last year, so it's not a sample issue. Uh, Wick. Rowan Wick, 105.6. He was uh, the leader in the clubhouse. Albert Alzale, 102.9 in between uh, starting and and, and relieving. So perhaps uh, the most upside among the healthy guys, if Merriweather was healthy, he had a 121 stuff plus. So uh, who's Mr. Rucker here? Michael Rucker, 104. So... um, I kind of I've been looking at Al Alzale as before the Merriweather signing. I was looking at Alzale as a guy that I kind of liked. I know that Wick 
is probably the guy that's on top of most people's uh, depth charts. But, uh, you know, a 9.7 or more (coughs) better number, 23.5% K rate is decidedly below average for a closer. Um, And then you add in poor command. I don't think uh, he is on sure footing at all. So Alzale, you know, kind of uh, seems to be falling behind Hayden Wesnensky. They've got Caleb Killian. They have Javier Assad. Alzale seems to be falling behind that group. Uh, this could be the spring where they just decide to make him a reliever and he could become the closer. However, Merriweather, if he's healthy, uh, does put uh, a damper on that. So I'm not going to go heavy in on this because that's a lot of ifs I just put out there, right? Wick is not that attractive to me as the most stable, probably number one on the depth chart guy. Alzale has not even, we haven't even heard that Alzale is a reliever yet. And Merriweather is always hurt. But um, that does, Merriweather does sort of, he's uh, the the kind of the gopher poking his head out of the hole, being like, what about me? I think with Alzale, he had six appearances at the end of last season once he was healthy. All of them came out of the bullpen. Five of them were two plus innings. Right. He's still just in between. He's probably going to get a chance to stretch out the spring, even if they don't end up letting him go deep into spring training with the starters. And then he's probably going to be a multiple inning reliever if he's a reliever. I think if you have a guy like that, instead of going from attempts to get him to go five down to one, use the numbers in between. He's exactly the kind of guy you'd want to use on the days when some of your mid and back end starters go short. And that's going to happen, right? You got Drew Smiley in the rotation, I think that's the kind of guy that you could typically plan on throwing Alzale behind. Because if, if Smiley gets to the lineup righty. twice and then Alzale mows through the lineup once, you're in to the sixth, seventh inning with your A bullpen coming in to possibly win a game. You also kind of need someone who can be on your roster and relieve, but also give you maybe two or three innings and a spot start when someone's hurt where you don't have to always go to the minor leagues. Right, he could be like a Michael King or a Ross Stripling at, like, as the range of outcomes. I think there's a, a longer uh, workload, of course, for someone like Stripling. I don't the- know where to draft Alzale. Like, I don't know the use case. I think it's like a draft and hold, like, you know, last five rounds, ten rounds, last five rounds. Yeah. Like, just an arm that'll probably play that has some upside that, you know, that you're just taking a, a, a dart on there and that's like the nl only reserve it's another way to say that it's just an interesting pitcher that you could throw in as your last guy some weeks and you might be pleasantly surprised a non-zero chance of saves but more likely i think multiple innings and more more likely the, to make it as a starter than as a closer still i think i the guy i like is jeremiah estrada oh i forgot about him no i love him oh my it, god i almost oh wonder god. if it's estrada versus merriweather over the course of the year where they're gonna like Move up the depth chart together. Estrada had a 132 stuff plus, man. Mm-hmm. He blew the doors off. And his first start, it was even higher, I think. It was just quite the debut. Just to, uh, just to, to put him into context, that's, he's probably like a top 15 reliever. By stuff. Yeah. Big, he's right there with K-rates. Jordan Romano. Everywhere he's pitched... Since 2019, Jeremiah Estrada has had a strikeout rate above 30%. Occasionally has some issues with walks, but misses a ton of bats. That's that's your guy that could be electric, along with Mary. Oh, the Fangraphs depth chart screwed me. Come on, you got to put Estrada on there, guys. 
I don't Jeez. think that's. I don't think it's egregious that he's not on there. He's probably is. There's a there's a little thing where it says plus nine more. I guess I can press that. I'm very loyal to the Rotowire depth charts. He's uh, he's fifth <laughs> in their bullpen on the non closer list for now. Yeah, no, I I love him. I I think the only question is, uh, you know. I, there's some question of like, you know, do teams really do the thing where they try to keep people cheap? So, you know, maybe Estrada's their seventh inning, you know, secret closer mm, while mm. Wick stumbles through the ninth. They're in a division where they can win. So I kind of think they, they're just going to manage the team in the best way to win games. They can't get that cute with it right now. They don't have that luxury. And as much as we talk about, oh, you, you know, like the seventh, sometimes the best uh, players come up in the seventh inning. Uh, the ninth inning has the highest leverage, almost always. That's why you see teams start with some guy in the seventh, and if the guy in the ninth is not getting it done, they move the guy who's really good in the seventh to the ninth. It's just, that's why that happens, is because it turns out most of the highest leverage moments are in the ninth. So, uh, you know, I think he could, even if he doesn't start the year as a closer, I think he'll end the year as a closer, unless Merriweather is just puts finally puts together the season that we're all been waiting for <laughs> telling you we, when i say we, I mean, <laughs> yeah i remember with jorge lopez you liked him for a long time and it was like can he start can he start can he start can he stay i kept healthy? saying he'll be a great reliever <laughs> and finally he got the chance and it, it happened with a little bit of very little fanfare and he emerged to be a really good waiver wire pickup closer and the orioles even traded him and got a little something back so i think you could be right on julian merriweather it's still possible when you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's get to some draft strategy, though. You and I are working through a couple of draft and hold leagues right now, and I am fortunately on one of the ends. I'm picking from the 15 spot. I love being on the ends in draft and hold because I can check out for a while, check back in, and then come up with my picks, and I'm not just obsessively on the phone, on the computer. I put this out there on Twitter. I started looking at the projections again because more projections came out this week. The BAT-X and ATC are both out there, so you can look at those uh, fan graphs. You can look them through the auction calculator if you want to. And if you run the BAT-X, you will see Mike Trout really pops there. Fernando Tatis Jr. really pops in that projection system. And Jacob deGrom also pops by projection. All three of those players have injury concerns. And if you're at the one-two turn, I was curious if anybody out there wanted to take a combination of two of those players because they're consistently available at pick 15. And then if you would do it, which two do you like? And then, of course, if you're going to do that, what does the format have to be? Do you do it in a draft champion situation where there's an overall prize component where you have to do exceptionally well to win the biggest prize? Or do you prefer doing it in a satellite league where you're not necessarily... Uh, going up against everybody else, and you're just trying to beat the 14 teams you're going up against? Or is this something you'd consider in a very shallow league, like a 10-team mix that you play with your friends because, you know, the waiver wire is loaded? So there's any number of ways that you can go about this, but I'm just kind of curious how you think about risk that early when the projections are that favorable for a trio of players. I'm risk-averse in the first few rounds and I tend to even if there is an overall prize to want to build a team that can win the local and the reason I think that is the the rake by NFBC is fairly substantial and if I want to keep playing at NFBC I need to keep winning a lot of my smaller leagues you know um, just to keep having the the money to play again next year. You know what I mean? So like, I kind of want to aim to win all my ones and then maybe I'll just get lucky on one of the ones I'm winning and there's an overall strategy there. I know, I, I think that's probably pretty different from some of the real heavy hitters in the NFBC that that aim to uh, win draft champions uh, and make uh, more high variance decisions. Um, but uh, I do not have a large bankroll dedicated to the NFBC. You know, so I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not rolling in with double digits, thousands of dollars that I'm willing to dedicate to uh, this enterprise. So, you know, I think that, and probably for many of our listeners, um, they have the same, uh, they have the same feeling where they'd rather win their local. So, I'm out on that much risk. Uh, I will say that in a draft champion situation, I'd be a little bit more likely to say YOLO and uh, and do it and Jacob DeGrom is so good that in 100 that's a 160 inning projection so it's not like they put him into 200 innings that's a 160 inning projection however 160 innings seems like a stretch for him and if you get him and Tatis and let's say DeGrom is just a little behind in the spring for some reason and is you know he'll debut two weeks into the season then the first two three weeks of the season your two top draft picks are not on your team and they're on your bench, which is rough. So there were a lot of interesting responses to this when I put it out there. And I 
I guess I want to share a little bit about how I would think about the problem. I think about Mike Trout more than just the the injury risk, right? I think part of being willing to draft Trout at the one-two turn or early in round two or wherever he's going to end up falling, usually between pick 15 and pick 25 at the latest, it's completely fine from a pure value perspective. It's a little weird because if you expect to get a lot of your stolen bases from the outfield, he doesn't run anymore. So then you have to start thinking about what the next couple of rounds look like and who you're going to take in those spots and who's going to be available for you to take in those spots. And then the problem, it can kind of cascade pretty quickly. Let's just say we talked about third base. People are going to hear that preview soon. Third base falls off really hard. And let's say your parachute option at third base is Alex Bregman, another very good player who doesn't run. You need to have a plan in place where if you feel like you take Bregman, you know, you're still going to have enough stolen bases. He's an early rounder who doesn't run, right? Corey Seager is another early rounder who doesn't run. There's only so many player types like that that you can put with Trout. So I think you have to consider your strength as a player and what is likely to happen over the course of the early and middle rounds of your draft. And you have to be able to decide, am I good enough and comfortable enough with these players to round out my speed foundation if I'm going to take on that risk? Aside from the health concerns that you might have about Trout. Whereas with Tatis, we know he does everything when he's healthy. You don't have that concern. You just have the injury risk. So I do think Trout is a more difficult player to also, take the in times this range. He's not playing and the and the risk of, you know, coming off a steroid surgery, a steroid suspension, what what the play is going to be like. Right. Yeah, there's there's performance risk that way for sure. But you know, I think you're right. This is also a KDS question, which is like where do you want to draft in the first because you can kind of map it out. Trout Right now in draft champions, oh, this is not right now. I had it in right now, and then it got off. Uh, Trite right now in draft champions is going, yeah, he's going in the middle of the second. So I don't know if that I would push him so hard to, to take him around the turn, but Tatis is going around the turn, um, and I'm sure DeGrom, even though he's going at the end of second, I'm sure he's gone there. But a, a fairly high-risk uh, choice for you at the turn might be uh, Burns Tatis. Yeah, I went Burns Trout. Tatis was there. It was an option. But we, no, so with going with Trout, then you look ahead to who's going to be available most likely by ADP in the third and fourth where you go again. And uh, I think in your case, and you, and I think uh, I think you maybe did this, or at least we talked about it while you were doing it. Um, you identified maybe Mullins. Yep. As I had Mullins, Randy Arozarena, and Luis Robert. Robert. As your as your as your possible speed choices, and what did you end up with? I went another direction. I went Uh-oh. I went Will Smith, and I went Ryan Presley because I oh God. So yeah, so this gets better. So now now I passed you, on both of those guys, and so they now all in the fifth and went. the sixth. Who was available for you? Well, see, in the fifth and the sixth, for a moment, it looked like one of Ozzy Albies, Jazz Chisholm, Corbin Carroll, or Cedric Mullins would be there. And as and it turned out, made it? two of them did. Carol and Mullins were there. Oh, but then you got to take Mullins, I think. I really wanted to, and I didn't. What? I took Alex Bregman. Because you were worried about third base. We, we just, just had, had our a, conversation just, about third yeah. base yesterday <laughs> that, that made me think, all right, if I, don't, if I don't take Bregman here and I'm light on steals, I have to roster Cabrian Hayes. And I don't necessarily want to do sixth. that. 
I took I took Bregman with Tyler Glass now at the five six turn. So now I've got two oh, starters, a closer, you have no steals. So now let's look at the seventh and eighth. I've got zero. I've got probably zero steals through six rounds. But my team is awesome. And look how bad your seventh and eighth steal candidates are. Uh, Tyler O'Neill. Let me run through who's available Byron right now. Buxton. I'm 15 picks away from my two turns. Tommy Edmond is falling. Probably won't make it back to me. So yeah. I'm going to guess Tommy Edmond goes. O'Neill Cruz probably goes before I get a turn. Andres Jimenez might be there. Tim Anderson has a very good chance of being there, I think. So I got a couple shortstops that can run. You could take your middle infield there and add, you know, 40, 45 stolen bases there. I am also thinking that at some point, Glaber Torres, probably not at this turn, maybe at the next one. I may have to jump him up. Glaber Torres could actually make a lot of sense for this team at second base because second base falls off hard. But like, it's but, not as top heavy as third. But another thing that's interesting to me is we're, we're talking. So I'm I'm looking at the ADP chart and trying to tell and trying to guess what your options were. Mm-hmm. And they were pretty different. Um you know, like I did guess uh, Corbin Carroll and Cedric Mullins correctly, right? Uh, or Cedric Mullins in the first batch and then Corbin Carroll in the second batch. Um, but in this next batch, I'm talking about Tyler O'Neill and Byron Buxton. You're saying Tim Anderson or uh, Tommy Edmond and Andres Jimenez, people that uh, ADP says shouldn't be available. And the, the lesson I'm taking from this is that you can do KDS and you can plan out what you think might be available before the draft where you say, oh, I'm going to go Machado Burns at the turn and I'm going to get Mullins and Romano because that's what the ADP says. And I like that. You know, I like that for that foursome gives me a, a starter a reliever steals an infielder. Boom. I love that foursome. You might get that because drafts are, you know, can be fairly similar in the first two to four rounds. By the time you get to the fifth and sixth, there's enough. There are 14 other managers, you know what I mean? (laughs) Doing vastly different things, different strategies, all sorts of other things. Different pockets of players are going to become available. You're going to start to see that looking at ADP is not any, is not really in this format. I'm looking at ADP as a board. It's not going to be useful in that way anymore. You know, it's, it, it, it kind of goes out the window. So if you do KDS, map out who you think you'll get in the first four rounds. And and that's it. Don't bother mapping out after that, I don't think, because I think chaos uh, just starts to infuse the draft and the difference. You know, I was able to guess Mullins pretty quickly. I was not able to guess the, any of the buddy you said in terms of the sixth and seventh or the seventh and eighth round turn. Um, so, you know, I think uh, I think that's a, a valuable thing for people to think about is, you know, if you're planning a draft, think about the first four rounds. Think about who you might come out with the first four rounds. Think if, if you'd like that as your as your basis. For example, I went from the sixth slot and I liked that because I wanted Kyle Tucker in the first, but I got auto drafted into Edwin Diaz in the second. That would have been either Real Muto or uh, Paul Goldschmidt for me um, if I hadn't taken Diaz. Um, and I, I, I would prefer to pick ahead of that decision. I would prefer to pick early in the second round because you can get Raphael Devers, Austin Riley, Pete Alonzo. Uh, you can get those guys in the second round if you're early in the second round. You cannot get those guys if you're late in the second round. So for me, I want KDS. I want 
you know, sort of 10 to 15. I want in there. I want to pick in there uh, before I pick earlier than that. And and I'm not even looking at what I think would happen in round five. The, you know, KDS says I should get Corey Seager in round five. That's not useful to me. I don't think that's, you know, what's going to happen. I think you can try <clears throat> you can try to figure it out more from the player types perspective than the specific player's perspective. So look at five, six, seven, even round eight. What's the quality of stolen base players in that range? What's the quality yes. of save sources in that range? The specific players, that's a little harder to map out that far down. If you think saves are almost certainly going to be completely dried up, at least for the closers you trust to get your first closer by the end of round six, don't mess around and, and try and, and thread that needle perfectly. Like Take advantage of one of those turns in the Jump three through six range. And, yeah, just make sure you don't fall off that cliff. And I think that's what I was doing a little bit with Bregman was saying, okay, I don't want to I don't want to be forced into drafting Cabrian Hayes in part because someone else might take him. The guy that I thought was going to get me 20 steals that I needed from third base, oh, someone else liked him too. He's gone, and now I'm 20 steals short, and I'm at a, I have a position open that doesn't even offer the category I need. I felt like leaving the outfield open longer, passing on Cedric Mullins, passing on players like that made some sense because there were still steals later from the position. Same with second base even. Looking at someone like Jazz, like I could just wait a little longer, find someone who's second base eligible who runs some. They might not have the ceiling that Jazz Chisholm has, but they're still getting me the categories I need. So my thought is that as I go through this, round seven, round eight, round nine, round ten, every hitter I take in these next four rounds, whether that's two or four, it could be it could be all four picks, could be hitters, I guess, depending on how it breaks. Every hitter I take is going to get me at least ten steals. They might all get me fifteen, and some might even get me twenty. And that's okay. If I end up with, let's say I get 50 steals in the next three picks. If I have 50 steals through the first 10 rounds, I'm not that far behind. There's still speed that I can get late. That's why you sent me the, you're going to get Asturio Ruiz message yesterday, <laughs> which, which did seem very threatening. Uh, but <laughs> like, no, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to let it come to that. I, I think sometimes I think the, the market, the field, the other people in the room can be unnecessarily aggressive with a category. Oftentimes, it's speed or saves. And I think if you're playing to make sure you're balanced, you have to be willing to wait on one of the two. I am much more willing to wait on steals than I am on saves. So if I'm going to commit early draft picks to something, it's going to be to at least the one closer I trust. And if I can get surplus value in potentially average homers, runs, RBIs by taking guys who don't run, I'm going to go ahead and do that and take my chances because I think that's where that's where there's some some bigger picture value to be had. But again, that comes from working up from the back and not ending up with guys like Ruiz. If I thought I was going to end up with Ruiz, I wouldn't be doing this. One thing that occurs to me is like, you know, why why are all these teams changing their their outfield dimensions and becoming much more uh, neutral home parks? Um, it's so that they can jump at any opportunity, any any potential bargain that may want to sign with them won't not sign with them because they're too much of a pitcher's park, or too much of a hitter's park, right? Like what, what potential bargain pitcher is going to sign in Coors? No, they have to overpay for anything they can get. You know, they have to get Daniel Bard off the scrap heap. They can't, you know, they, they get last chance saloon type players. They don't, there's no like, um, you know, Ross Stripling, you know, who like, maybe he's actually a, a decent signing for the Giants. The Giants can gobble, gobble him up. 
and so maybe the Giants, uh, you know, inability to land Carlos Correa or Aaron Judge is related at least partially to the park. And so maybe they haven't gotten all the way there yet, but they have changed their things. And the reason that I think this is relevant to what we're talking about is if you take well-rounded players that steal bases and do everything early on, you're allowing you, you're keeping yourself open for whatever you want to do later. That was something that was a little bit different about the conversations about our two teams. In my in my conversation, I was talking about sort of positional needs, and you at one point said, "Oh, well, do you need st- steals or homers?" And I kind of added them up for you, and you were like, "You don't you don't seem like you need steals or homers," which means now I can now I can just go wherever I think the value is. You know, I can take Ryan McMahon to be my third baseman. Uh, late. I took him way, I thought real late compared to what his projected dollar value was. Right. And he's, he's my, he's my corner infielder. And the reason, and I, and just for context, I guess, uh, I took Ryan McMahon in the 13th round, uh, good. to be, to be my corner outfielder. And that's because I wasn't at all concerned with, uh, you know, do I need to get steals? Uh, you know, do I need to get, um, you know, batting average or do I need to, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, you, you'll get reaches, I think, uh, in this, in this area. I don't particularly think Tyra Estrada is a, a great pick. Uh, he went in the 12th. That's because, uh, his team did not have a second baseman and was light on steals, um, you know, in the meantime. So, um, you know, I, I think I'd rather have McMahon uh, that I took a, a later. I don't, that's just one example, but, um, I'm not, I'm not boxing at any corners. Whereas you, you know, because you did get ahead. So you're going to have a bill that's more uh, kind of kind of shuttles from extreme to extreme, right? Like you build up a lot of uh, uh, homers and batting average and like, that's good. But now your needs are much more defined. And, and, and people around you also know that better, right? So somebody who's picking 14 is like, that dude has no steals. If I want steals, I better take them before the turn. And so anybody you're looking at that has steals, if they need steals at all at 14, they're like, well, Derek has no steals, so let me. I'm, I'm gonna take a, this you know, Tommy Edmund. I'm gonna let him to get Tommy Edmund. You know what I mean? So like, you you start to get sniped and stuff. And I and I've I've noticed this where I like to leave uh, pitching, and you know I'm through 13 rounds, and maybe I'm light on pitching because I have Diaz, Woodruff, Glasnow, May, and Rasmussen. Uh, there are other teams that have more pitchers, um, but I also see that uh, as my pick starts coming up, like my favorites just go away. You know, my, my ranks are published in the ninth round. I thought maybe I need a third pitcher. And right before my turn, it went Severino, Snell, Lodolo, Green. You could not have decimated my rankings any better. That Those guys are all, they're basically 18 through 22 in my rankings. You know what I mean? And I would have loved to have gotten a third pitcher in my top 20. You know, and and I would have been like, ha ha ha, suckers. You know, I got Hunter Green, nan nanny boo boo, uh, and they just absolutely wiped me out because they knew I needed a pitcher and they knew what my ranks were. So, being less predictable has a value. Being as well rounded as possible, as long as you can be, has has some value. Um, but also, I appreciate what you're saying about building up surplus in certain places too, because you know. Trout by projections should be in the first round. Right. So I'm taking advantage of that value. The cost of taking advantage of that value is knowing that I'm going to have to hustle for my speed sooner rather than later to avoid the Asturias Ruiz problem. As long as you believe there are enough players 
in between the first six rounds and Ruiz territory that will get you to the target you want, you can be okay. But you're right about people in the room picking up on it. I think the only thing that might bail me out is that if they already have enough speed, they might not be looking at speed. They might be looking at the guys who don't run, who go in the pick 100 to 200 range. They might have have created needs by going heavy on speed earlier. They might right. have created some needs otherwise. So we're looking for different things at different times, which might give me a position that allows the things I need to actually make it back to me. I'm hoping, I, mean, I could be wrong about this, I'm hoping that's part of how it plays out uh, as well. And I wonder if I look back at this and I say, hmm, Tyler Glasnow, that was my shot. If I didn't take Glasnow there, I could have had Mullins. I could have had a 25-30 steel guy in the outfield right there. And that maybe will prove to have been the better way to go. But my thought was that a lot of other pitchers that are going to go in the next 50 to 60 picks have nothing close to the projection and ceiling of Glasnow. I felt like Glasnow, even though I pushed him up a little bit relative to where he's been going, was still undervalued. And I think we're going to get to March and Tyler Glasnow is going to be going consistently in the first five rounds. I think that's that's the direction we're headed. So this won't even look like a reach once we get more information in these next two and a half months. I took him as well. Uh, I took him. I, I had the benefit since I wasn't at the turn. I was in the middle. Uh, I, t- I think I took him a little bit later than you in the middle of the sixth. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I did. I did. It was a little bit rough in terms of what I thought my other needs were, uh, but it didn't cost me that much. And to pair him with Woodruff, I felt great. Uh, people in the draft uh, are very conservative about injury risk a lot of times, except with DeGrom, which is weird for me. But like, um, you know, there's a, a, there were people like, oh, I just don't know how many innings he'll pitch. And um, I don't know, you know, about the playing time. Uh, there's usually a Tommy John honeymoon for the first uh, 300 innings after Tommy John, as long as, long as you've pitched in the big leagues. Um, so, you know, I, I doubt he's going to go down for a Tommy John right away. Um, and then he also has a, a fairly big carrot in the form of the free agent year, the year after next. I think the best way for him to enter that free agency period is to pitch as many innings as he can in the next two years. So I think personally he wants to do that. Maybe the team will manage some innings, but I think they would manage them a little bit later in the season, depending on whether or not they're making the postseason. If they're headed towards the postseason, maybe they give him a two-week blow because they want to use some of his innings in the postseason as opposed to getting to the postseason. Uh, but by that time, uh, you would have banked a lot, I think, from Glasnow. So I'm, I'm into the Glasnow thing there. Another thing you just said that I think is important to think about, you were talking about doing things, uh, looking in different places at different times than the rest of the room. Um, and uh, one way that I use uh, projections um, and and try not and, and try to mesh that with what's happening in the room um, is that I will basically uh, set a, a sort of tier in my projections and say, okay, I'm going to put in my queue everybody who's worth more than ten dollars, just so I can see who projections say are worth more than ten dollars. And invariably, if you do this, especially if you do it at like fifteen dollars early in the draft, you say everybody who's over fifteen dollars, I'm putting them in my queue you will find that you put a ton of catchers in there and you put a ton of catchers in there and you're like, wow, this says, uh, Sean Murphy's worth $24 and everybody's picking $15 players right now. I should take Sean Murphy. However, if you did what I said, you will see, oh, there's like six catchers in here and there's two shortstops. And maybe the shortstop that I have in here is only worth uh, $15. And my projection system says Sean Murphy's worth $24. 
but the, the supply and demand is such that I may not get a $15 shortstop if I don't take one of these two, and I still might get a $20 catcher if I wait another round. And um, so that's that's how I use the projections. It's not, I don't think it's, I used to be like, uh, you have to take the guy, especially in auctions, it's a little bit more like you want to spend what the what your numbers say you should spend. Yep. That's a little bit more, you want to do what your numbers say. But when in a snake draft, I think you're more like, you're just trying to collect as much value as you can. And so, you know, it's no longer like I should, like, you don't want to just, you wouldn't take, like, just as an extreme case, you wouldn't take four catchers in a row just because they were all worth $24. <laughs> you know, like, that wouldn't make any sense. You still have to build a team. So my method of sort of collecting all the players I like in a certain queue so that I can see the supply and demand within a tier um, has been has been pretty useful for me. And that allowed me, for example, to take Sean Murphy in the eighth round um, after... Uh, Alejandro Kirk, Will Smith, Salvador Perez, JT Romuto, Wilson Contreras, Adley Rutschman, all of those guys had, and Menje Melendez went ahead of Sean Murphy. Um, so I still got someone in the tier of acceptable catchers. I believe my projection system had a $22 value for Murphy. So, you know, I was like, you know, I'm cool with that. But I took a Tim Anderson, I think that had like an $18 projection. Uh, in my numbers, I think Bregman had an eighteen or nineteen dollar projection. I had I took those guys all ahead of Murphy because of the law of supply and demand. Right, because Murphy could still be there later. That is exactly yeah. why Bregman ended up on this team, and Cedric Mullins didn't. It's the belief that I can find another Cedric Mullins type player or a lighter version of that player that's very close, easier than I can find a Bregman type player at third base right now. That's I suppose you could make the case that like uh, you you'll see Jake McCarthy later. You could make the case. I mean, there's we 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 in the outfield, uh, which we've already we haven't heard yet, but we've already recorded. <laughs> uh, there are some risks with Jake McCarthy, uh, but in terms of projections and possibilities, Jake McCarthy's right there with Cedric Mullins. He fits this roster really well, which is ten sad to fifteen after the things homers <laughs> and thirty stolen bases. Yeah. You'll understand why there's a little bit of pain as uh, as I say he fits this roster really well because yeah. we've we talked about the, the warts. Episodes, yeah. <laughs> we all have that to to look forward to once that drops. But yes, we are rapidly approaching the position preview portion of the year, and uh, we'll get those episodes dropping very soon. Got a nice little supply of them. It's weird. We we rarely pre-record episodes of this show, so when I'm sitting on like five plus episodes of rates and barrels that people haven't listened to yet. It's really kind of a strange feeling. I feel like I'm doing something wrong by hoarding the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we recorded these and you can't listen to them. We know. We know. My favorite is first base. So hopefully you start with first base. Uh, we, uh, that was a good episode. Not that none of the other ones were. <laughs> but, it, you know, we, we're, we're, we're so hard at work that, like, we're changing our hoodies and T-shirts and, and taking hats off and putting them on. Uh, just to give you guys different looks yeah. on the same day. <laughs> I, I realized that I, I made one mistake. There's a, a box over my shoulder with a blanket in it, and it hasn't moved in a few days, so there's a lot of episodes where that box, <laughs> that is box be the blanket. <laughs> foiled again. Slight mistake on my part. I'm, I'm just not that good at uh, at deceiving people, which it's is weird probably if a good has got a haircut in the middle. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, if I, yeah. Lots of things we could change that would be very odd based on the, the order of uh, of the episodes. But 
If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, this is a good time to get one leading into the season. Theathletic.com slash rates and barrels gets you in the door for $2 a month for the first year. Really can't beat that price. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. As always, emails are welcome. Rates and barrels at theathletic.com as I continue to push for inbox zero, hopefully before baby's arrival, because it's not happening once the not kid happening comes. after <laughs> it is over. Inbox zero is a dream that will go away with the arrival of my son. But hey, you could tell that I'm a soccer person because I think we talked about babies for about 12 minutes. And then we added 12 minutes at the end in stoppage time. Extra on the pod. Time. <laughs> so I know the inevitable tweets of dude, no one cares. Like you know, I get it. We're, we're not we going to take away content. We're going to give you the time back. So if you ever, if you were like stop talking about kids just hit the fast forward button a couple times and you know we'll be out of it and you'll get the content back on the back end (laughs) but uh, that's going to do it for this episode of rates and barrels we're back with you next week thanks for listening 